everyone and welcome back to the Three Guys Talk Football podcast. It's a podcast where three guys talk football. I am George White, struggling to breathe apparently, uh, and I'm joined by Nathan Warby. How are you doing, Nathan? All right, I, I'm breathing normally, so that's good. Lovely. Uh, and Chris King is here as well. How are you? How's your breathing? My breathing is okay. I'm sorry your breathing is not okay. I'm all right now. I've got to infant. <coughs> no. That was just some top quality acting. I am actually fine. Um, podcast listeners will not see, but as I introduced Nathan, a light turned on above his head like he was in a game show. That was great. There's a nice little added detail that's wasted on. <laughs> great, yeah, Nathan. Um, I appreciate the effort, mate. Yeah, that's very good for this this audio medium. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least I've described it in enthralling detail. Um, a couple of bits happened over the weekend. Uh, luckily, Chelsea didn't play. Um, they did, however, walk out onto the pitch. They didn't play uh, when they got there, but we're not going to talk too much about that. Uh, Aston Villa won, apparently. Um, you want to think it from all of the Aston Villa merchandise that is now on Chris King's screen, but it is everywhere. Um, some might say too much, but he looks happy, so that's me. It's not, it's not too much because there's there's more in the wardrobe that I've not put out. So. And anyway, uh, the main thing we're going to talk about is this breaking development. We've got our finger on the pulse here that um, the owners of Liverpool Football Club, that is not the city, are willing to listen to offers for said club. Um. And there's only really one person that we could talk to about this, and it is Chris King, because he is the, uh, <laughs> it's Nathan Warby. Um, because I wanted to dive into what that would mean, because it just feels like Fenway Sports Group, or FSG, if you will, uh, have become such a like foundational part of Liverpool and their success over the past decade or so. Um, yeah, what was your reaction to the news, Nathan? Yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a mixed one, really, because like, on the one hand, you've got, like you said, it's um, like on the whole, they've been pretty successful with us in 12 years they've been with us now. And obviously, probably the most successful spell that Liverpool have had, like definitely in my life, lifetime, but since sort of the late 80s. Um, so, on the one hand, obviously, I'm disappointed that the people kind of behind that um, look like we're going to be moving on pretty soon. But I, like, I also think that in some ways they may have held us back slightly. And I, I do think, on the whole, now is a good time for them to step away because it, it feels a little bit like we're on Liverpool on like a bit of a tipping point at the moment where I feel like if we stick with FSG's model of sort of only reinvesting in the club with, like with the money that the club makes itself could start to hurt us a little bit and I feel like now is the right time to start investing and like keeping our star players and then add into that um, so it'd be interesting to see if a new owner would do that but then obviously you've got the <laughs> flip side to that which means you could get owned by some Qatari consortium, which would not be ideal. <laughs> yeah, and what do you think this would mean for Jurgen? That's Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool manager. Uh, it feels like they've had a pretty strong relationship, him and the owners there. I think they've been on the same page when it's come to this sort of investment. It gives Jurgen Klopp a nice excuse anyway, whenever there's a loss. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to have that if you were owned by a big consortium that splashes hundreds of millions. Uh, but do you think that would, you know, if, if that was the end of FSG, do you reckon that would be the end of Klopp? Or do you think 
he'd be there to kind of smooth over any transition. How do you kind of see that going? I think it'd all kind of hang on those sort of early conversations with the new owner, really. Um, yeah, because like I said, obviously he's just signed a new long-term contract, which he originally wasn't going to do. I think he, he was meant to be leaving in 2024. We didn't send that for another couple of years. And I think um, uh, Mike Gordon, who's the president of S- FSG, I think he's the main sort of middleman between Klopp and uh, Henry. So, um, yeah, I think it was it was mainly because of their relationship, I think, that he agreed to to stay on for another couple of years. So, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure if he was going to stay or not. I think it's... Um, but like, I think probably that'll be on FSG's mind because obviously they've still said that they've got the club's best interests sort of in mind. So I think they would... Like, I don't think Klopp will be necessarily consulted in the process, but I think they'll be taking his wishes into account because obviously I think Klopp's probably been their best signing since they've owned, owned us, really. Um, so I think they know that he's important to you know, keeping things stable going forward because I, I don't think anyone else could have done what he's done with us for the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I think like, I'd like to say that FSG would be smart enough to at least get somebody that could work well with Klopp and sort of stick to the similar ideals that he's got. And um, I guess final question really is if they did move on, what would what do you think their legacy would be? Uh, like you say, say they were to leave at the end of this season, which would obviously be quite a quick process, but it's doable. Um, do you think they would be more remembered for the title success or would more of that credit go to Klopp? Uh, or would they be remembered for, like you say, not quite seizing the opportunity to really build a team that could dominate for years? Because it felt like you are on the cusp of that like you say but it's probably just held back a little bit too much in the, in terms of investment because you know you've been in a lot of the title races in the past five six years it feels like you could have built a kind of dynasty there um but it's not quite happened at the moment yeah i think we're we were probably maybe another two or three big transfer windows away from sort of being remembered as one of like the best maybe like all-time great premier league sides definitely yeah, um, yeah. I think if they did leave, I think yeah, it's like you said. It like obviously we'll always be grateful because they they brought us the first Premier League title. You know, another Champions League, a couple of Champions League finals, which obviously didn't go our way. But you know, well, they, they gave us every trophy that was on offer to us basically. Um, but yeah, I think I think that legacy it, it would probably depend how the next couple of seasons go, because um, obviously if in the next couple of years it all falls away and yeah, and, and that's kind of it for this squad. And I think um, that that pitch is probably fucked me up. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Enters maniacal laugh. This would perfectly punctuate the point. Um, Chris King has his virtual hand raised, so we will bring him in for his hot takes. I I have a question because like what you said about um, going like Klopp being involved and Klopp being the best side and everything, but then. Obviously, there's been issues with Klopp this season. And obviously, people have been saying, like, if it was any other manager, they would have been considering sacking him and all that stuff. So is it really... Do you think it's worth keeping Klopp on? Or is it more of a, a Chelsea thing where, like, bring the owner and bring the manager and have a complete fresh start? No, I think I think Klopp has to be involved. Because um, I think, yeah, obviously, like, this season hasn't been ideal um, at all. But I do think a lot of that does still come down to the owners. Because... Um, like I know we brought in Darwin Nunes, but we're still stuck in that cycle. If we have to offload players in order to add to the squad, 
and like that's like that's unsustainable for so long like eventually if you want to become at the really really top side you have to keep keep your best players and then add to that whereas like obviously i know like obviously we spent big money on darwin nunez but that was only possible because Mane moved on and a couple of like squad players moved on so i think yeah. um i think your academy is nowhere near as like churning out money as much as cities is as well that's the other big thing isn't it uh, yeah, this one I mean, like, 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 look at City. Like, even though City win the title every single year, they're guaranteed to splash at least 100 billion every single transfer, like every single summer without fail. Um, like, you know, like, and Liverpool's aren't in a position where we can compete for those kind of signings. So I think Klopp's been working miracles with what he's had to work with. To be honest with you, um, so I think if we got another owner that's a similar sort of model to FSG, and then Klopp left and we got another manager, I, I don't, like, I'd be surprised if we were. I think we'd be like that. We'd be back to being just like a standard top four team. I don't think we'd be anywhere near sort of title contention or Champions League finals or anything. It's a glum note, but um, a thoughtful one. I am in agreement. Yeah, I think, like you say, Klopp's when you've got a team that's got Jordan Henderson and you know a squad with Joe Gomez in, and you've actually won trophies. You, yeah. You deserve a statue outside the stadium, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> but we will move on. Uh, I just received from Chris King a Canva graphic which says Villa Thrash United uh, quite prominently. So I'm guessing we will be talking about that in more detail. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so this was Unai Emery's first proper game in charge and uh, it went pretty well. Um, what did you notice, Chris, from the day? How were Villa different to usual? There was a plan for starters, um, like that was nice. But I, th- I think the bit, the bit, the main thing that kind of came out was really the fact that, you know, when we were watching Stephen Gerrard teams or even Dean Smith teams as well, like there was a plan, and that was it. There was one plan, and if if that went kaput, that was it. You weren't winning the game. You weren't getting anything out of the game. With with Emery, it was very much like there was a clear idea of like get a goal, defend, like try and get it. That's obviously how Unai Emery always works. Get bent against big teams. Like, um, it's it's something we all knew he was going to bring into Villa. But the fact that you were watching it, being like, right, okay, you know, Ericsson's playing a load of passes. Let's put up Dendonka into like a second striker to make sure that he can't do that. Or like halfway through, we went to a back five so that they couldn't double up on the left hand side because that's what was happening against Cash. Like, obviously earlier in the season, earlier last season, sorry. And it's just all those little like in game tweaks and stuff that. We've never really had a manager that's like that big brain energy. I know this probably sounds like nothing to you guys who have like talented managers all of the time. Um, but <laughs> to actually have somebody who's making in-game tweaks, making like proper like substitutions. Oh my God, to actually see somebody use the five sub rule properly. I haven't seen it all season. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of have that and just playing with a bit more confidence and just that's ultimately the thing, isn't it? Like under Gerard, confidence was shot, so... I think Unai Emery's like first thing was to bring in confidence and actually bring in a game plan, um, and both of that worked really, really well. You know, obviously there's going to be the issues that Arsenal fans are always going on about, where they were saying like, you know, he just changes his team all all the time, constantly. You don't have a best eleven or a style of play or whatever. But like, if if everyone's got a style of play, surely that gets a bit boring. And like, also as well to a degree, like, surely it shows a better manager, like mastermind, if he's able to flex it up and change like we're not going to play anywhere near the same as we did against united against brighton next like on sunday 
and we probably wouldn't play the same against Wolves, for example. Like, and I, I, I'm quite looking forward to that in a weird way. Maybe it's like you know, because you see everybody coming becoming these all football brands and stuff. Maybe that's why he's not got a big job anywhere else, and that's why he's had to kind of. But he's got this kind of reputation of dealing with mid-table sides and getting them to be better than the sum of their parts, and that's ultimately what we've needed for such a long time. So it's yeah, it's really nice. It's really it's really nice to actually see us beat United at home. I've never seen it before because I wasn't born the last time it happened. So that was fun as well. Less fun is uh, the final thing I wanted to chat about, which I'm throwing wild card uh, your way, unprepared, but this is how we do it on the Three Guys Talk Football podcast. And it's about our dear friend, Ralph hassan It's uh, He's finally, finally bitten the dust. Um, it's over at Southampton. I just wanted to ask whether you think it's a bit harsh, really, because when you look at the table... I don't know if you can expect Southampton to be any higher. They don't have a core to that team. They don't have any real experience in there. Um, I think a 27-year-old James Ward-Prowse is probably the closest you get to that. But, you know, he's not he's not a title winner or anything like that uh, himself. Probably unjustly. Some big club needs to snap him up for sure if Southampton get relegated. But it does feel like, you know, with Villa nabbing Emery, Wolves getting Lopetegui, you do kind of ask, what, who are they going to bring in that's going to do a better job? Um, is that just me, or what do you think, Nathan? Yeah, I kind of agree. I think he's one of the more underrated managers in the league, to be honest. I think kind of what I just said about Klopp with Liverpool, I think, I think it kind of goes under the radar, some of the things that he's had to do there. I feel like now that he's got, it'd be really interesting to see how they perform now, because like, I've always kind of got the impression that he's kind of getting something out of nothing there. Like... Um, I know like the football's not always been pretty, but you look at that squad and it's like how are you supposed to get that into a how are you supposed to get that playing sort of, you know, like expansive attacking football. Um you know, they've got they've got no budget to work with really. And like Southampton have always had a really good recruitment. Uh, you know, that basically made a living out of bringing in players, making them better and selling them towards for fifty million pounds. That's pretty much what they used to do. Um and they haven't really had that for the last few years. Like they haven't produced like a, a real superstar in the making for a few years but James Ward Prowse is probably the only one you can even like compare to that really so um yeah I I'm a bit baffled by it I think it the only reason I can see for it is maybe just you know sometimes it just kind of goes stale where it's like it's been there a while maybe just fresh face might you know that might that might give them like the kickstart that they need to get to the end of the season and stay up and then but it'll be interesting to see what happens sort of from the next summer onwards definitely Chris, you're a bit more downbeat on Ralphie, as I, uh, as I call him. I think it's a weird time to do it with like one game left till the break for one thing, uh, and who the because apparently they're getting the Luton Town boss in. That's the like the idea, right? And I'm just a bit like not not to decry the Luton Town boss, but like surely Ralph Hasenhutl's experience of getting them out of situations like the one they're currently in is far more important. I don't know. I just like 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 Nathan just said as well, it's it's the fact that Hassan Hootel's always seemed from the outside looking it in to have done a good job with not not a lot. Like and then you bring in a lot of young talent. Exciting young talent, don't get me wrong, but like 
they're not expected to all just gel and do it straight away. I mean, when you also look at the fact that like Bournemouth have just lost four on the spin, so they're they're being dragged back down again after quite like a buoyant start. Everton, I know. Uh, sorry, Leicester, obviously, I know. But Everton, Everton are obviously down there as well. West Ham are kind of struggling. There's a lot of you're, they're only one point off jumping out of because it's so compact down at the bottom. Like you know, between eleventh and eighteenth, there's four points. Like they're not in the mire by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't know. It just it does seem a bit of a weird one. Um, whether it's the fact that you know Southampton fans are a bit sick of the football, like getting slapped 9-0 two seasons running, coming a, a little bit of a joke and things like that to people. Like, do they want to be taken a bit more seriously? I don't know. But yeah, it just, it does seem like a bit of a strange one. Especially, like you say, when Wolves and Villa are brought in two really top, top managers. Nathan, you're patiently waiting. Yeah, like, uh, Chris got touched on there at the end, but like, I guess like to offer the counterpoint, I think the amount of times that they've shipped sort of seven, eight, nine goals is pretty ridiculous and I think I think like one time like that can happen you're like just you know, like, every, like you can have that game and then a good team will punish you kind of thing but from the fact it's happened multiple times like I do think you have to look at the manager a little bit and maybe say that that's that might be like a tactical problem so you know obviously we're, like we're not there every day so there might be a bit more behind the scenes going on like you know there might be more issues with you know choices that he's made with the squad that, that we're not you know that we're not aware of so like from that side of things I probably could see it Plus, um, because we're on the outside as well, like I haven't really been able to gauge how the Southampton fans feel about him. Like, I think a lot of, like neutral fans seem to really like like respect the job that he's doing, but I don't. I've got no idea if the Southampton fans are really on board with him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess when you know for a fact that you're going to concede nine at least once a season, that is a bit. It can get a bit tiring, I imagine. <laughs> um. And we've got one more game week before this World Cup thing that's happening. Um, yeah, I don't remember many taking place in November. It kind of sprung up out of nowhere. That, um, and so we have to we have to dive into the state of play in fantasy football. Uh, I wish we didn't, but we did. Thank, I think the thing that saved me was Joe Cancelo deciding to get a red card. Thank you for that. That was um, oh. I'd have been completely cut adrift if it wasn't for that. Uh, someone in this group captained him, and that was extra nice. Thank you, Chris, for that. Um, but Nathan, still soaring, man. Still flying high at the top. Look at that. Seven points more than us two this week. Um, how are things looking for this this final game week? What's your What's your plans? We'll start with you, King Nathan. King Nathan. Uh, I didn't realise that Chris captain cancel. That's really funny. Um... <laughs> it's really. That's really funny. Fact, he's like. <laughs> Oh, Cancelo's got minus two, and then you go on Chris's team. He's like, oh no, minus four. Yeah, like, got, the minuses too. <laughs> I completely missed, completely missed that. Um, yeah, I think um, I had an okay week. I say Cancelo affected me. Not as bad as Chris, though. Um, I need to take Foden out because Pep Roulette is just killing me every week. It's like he, he, he comes on, puts in a man match front, scores a couple of goals, and then just doesn't play. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I need to rejig things a little bit. Um, I, like my plan was to take out Foden and Salah and put in De Bruyne and somebody else, but Salah's kind of hit a bit more form now, and we and we've got Southampton next, um, so I'm I'm thinking of keeping him in until after the World Cup. So, yeah, I think I'll uh, I'll be taking Foden out. I'm not sure of who. My my banging armor on since he started to turn to prime Messi. How about you, Chris? How are things looking for you? Oh, bleak on that minus four. But um, apart from that, 
alright, I think. I'm very scared about the Newcastle-Chelsea game. Got a lot riding on that. Um, Are you also expecting a Newcastle win on that? Because I am. I've taken Thiago Silva out just uh, in preparation. Yeah, I'll be honest, I am. I am a little bit. Um, but I, I've either got Cucurello or Veltman, and I don't see Brighton or Chelsea keeping clean sheets, and that's my issue. Um, so I'm going to keep Cooks in and just hope he gets some time to assist. No, I've brought in Leon Bailey because he's seems to be doing really well, uh, and he was only 4.5 million quid, so slapped him in instead of Josh De Silva giving me one point every week. Um, yeah, that. <laughs> That's a hangover from like game week two. That is, he's uh, he's been seen in a living for a long time. Like, I, I, I was just looking at Chris's team and like I was looking at the green. Yeah, this is this pretty decent young Madison side. I was like, how's how's this silver kept in there? What are you doing? Let's get rid. Because it was like four point five million quid had other transfers to be doing. To be fair, I don't know why I haven't got Andreas Pereira from Fulham. Man is so good. Mate, he is he has saved me so many times. He really has, and it makes me sad. Yeah, he's one of those. I'm not even going to bother putting him in because as soon as I do, maybe I, I will have to do it just to nerf Nathan. Because uh, as soon as I do it, he'll just get like break an injury or something. That's how it seems to go for me. To be fair, James Madison saved me this week. Look at him. Yeah, he's he, that's you, you. He's repaying the faith in you there because I think a lot of people have given up on him, but he's suddenly back in form, which is sad for me. And on that sad note, where else could we end other than with sadness for me? Uh, for this is football after all. Um, in a week where we were going to discuss last week about Arsenal and Chelsea and whether that uh, dynamic has flipped so that Arsenal are now the superior team. Well, it definitely looked that way the weekend. Um, but that's just an extra sad note for me to end on. Thanks for joining me, Chris and Nathan. Pleasure as always to chat to you. Oh, all right. I'm glad that's all right. Um, pleasure to chat to me as well, I'm sure. And <laughs> listener, pleasure to have you listen to us. Take care, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.